step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The Home Depot has a huge selection of shingles and roofing supplies in stock. Right now, ready to go. For building or rebuilding, and available at bulk prices. Plus, with the Home Depot's Pro Extra Rewards, you also get purchase tracking and volume pricing, so you can get what you need when you need it, without searching for it. The shingles and roofing supplies you're looking for are ready and waiting for you at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. See store for details. Welcome to Fire Talk Radio. Teaching the unfiltered Word of God with the anointing of His Spirit. With subjects on eternity and the choices we make that determine our eternal destiny. Hi, my name is Adam Grigsby. I'm here with Deborah Lacewell, and welcome to another episode of Fire Talk Radio. Um, unfortunately, some things changed, and Frank Summerall was not able to be here tonight, uh, so his episode on the sheep and the goats uh, will be happening another night as he's able. Uh, so tonight, we felt, me and Deborah both uh, felt specifically impressed by the Holy Ghost to do another topic. Deborah, go ahead and tell them about the topic that we're doing tonight. We're going to talk about the fire of God. You know, in Luke 3.16, 3, well, it talks about the fire of God, and Jesus Jesus is a baptizer in the Holy Ghost and fire. And we're going to talk about tonight how how absolutely wonderful the fire of God is and, and its purposes and in our lives. And, you know, because in, three, in, John, in Luke 3.16, it says, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And tonight we're going to talk about the importance of the fire of God in your life. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm feeling it right now. So we're going to talk about the importance of the fire of God in your life, how the fire helps purge you and cleanse you and take you to the next level and deeper things with the Lord and its purpose, and day of Pentecost, and all kinds of awesome, wonderful stuff, aren't we, Adam? (laughs) That's right. There's different kinds of fire uh, in the Bible. There's purifying fire, and there's also the fire of judgment. The purpose of the purifying fire is to purify us so that we don't have to face the fire of God's judgment, amen? So it's something we should earnestly, earnestly seek out. You know, in the church, we've talked much about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that's very, very important, and we're not going to undermine that. We will talk about that as well tonight. But he also says, I'm going to baptize you in fire. Now, the word baptize means to immerse. That means we're not supposed to have a little bit of fire. That means he literally wants to devour us, to bury us, to baptize us, to consume us with his fire. You know, um, you know it's very clear in, in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, that appeared to them cloven tongues of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And then and Peter said in Acts 2, 38, 
Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which included the fire of God. So it's very, very important. The fire of God purifies us. It empowers us. You know, I mean, without the fire of God, we're basically you know, useless. We're dead vessels. Now, I want to emphasize that the fire of God doesn't necessarily mean zeal or excitement, although there's certainly byproducts of it. But the fire of God is rather his empowering presence that, that, that enables us, that purifies us, and enables us to go out into the world and preach Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That causes people to look at us and say, they don't preach like normal men. They preach like people. They preach like one that has authority, just like Jesus preached. Amen? You know, I, I know that in many times in my life, you know, um, I've been, I, I, you know it's, under, it's important to understand that, you know, when you cry out for the fire of God, there's, of course, the, the fire of God in the evidence, like the manifestation of his spirit that hits you. But it's also important to understand that the fire of God also includes trials and tribulations that are used to refine us. The Bible says he refines us in a furnace. A furnace speaks of fire. So we're going to talk about that as well tonight. You know, in, you know, like with the importance of trials, a lot of Christians, they shun away from trials because we tend to have, be Americans with American mindsets and like our comfort. But it's actually really, really crucial to understand that without trials, without tribulations, we have no ability to actually grow in Christ because we don't grow in the, in the easy times. We grow in the hard times. And with that also being said, I want to emphasize that it's not just trials that refine us. It's that when we obey God and rejoice in the midst of the trials that we actually grow. If trials alone refine us, then homeless people would be really, really on fire. They'd be really, really spiritual people. I'd go be homeless just so I could be on fire. But that's not really what it is. It's, it's when we obey God and we rejoice in the midst of trials and fire. And uh, I also want to note that those trials are when you're being persecuted and when they come unfairly, when you're being unfairly treated, persecuted, uh, things of that nature for righteousness sake, not necessarily when you're being treated wrong because you deserve it. You know, if you're, uh, if you're speeding and you get pulled over by a cop, you're not being persecuted. It's not the fire of God. You're just getting a ticket because you're disobeying, disobeying the law. Amen. But when you're actually doing the right thing and people persecute you and treat you badly because of it, that is very much a form of the fire of God. You could really define uh, trials as anything that puts any kind of pressure upon your soul. So when you go through things, you know, and I want to say this, many of the, the, the fires, many of the forms of uh, this heat and pressure that you go through that, is, that, refold, that refines coal into a diamond in many cases actually comes in the form of unfair treatment even in the church. You know, the Bible talks about about many things that, were, that uh, it, uh, we were actually going to talk about offenses tonight, but that scripture does come into this where it says that because of offenses, the love of many will grow cold. So with the offenses that the Bible talks about in the church in the last days, those offenses either have the power to actually cause us to be to walk away from God and become cold or actually to refine us and purify us into his image. There's nothing anybody can do to you that if you don't that if you stay obedient and you keep rejoicing and you keep praising him that won't actually work out for your benefit. You know, um I'm going to go to a scripture. Actually, Deborah's got a scripture. She's going to go ahead and go to it uh while she's looking that up, you know. We want to we're at the end of the show we're going to be praying, you know, for people to receive you know, the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. And, um, you know, Paul says in the Bible that if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So that means we need the fire. We need the purification. It's not fun, but we do have to go through it, you know, because uh, the Bible is very clear that it's a cross, not an easy chair, you know, in, this, in, in Christianity. And uh, so here's some more scriptures on the fire of God. This is, the, this is one that I'm going to read while, while Deborah's looking up her scripture. Uh, the Bible says very clearly in 
Mark, it says in, in Luke three sixteen, this was the scripture that she read before. This is the whole scripture. John answered, saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes, the latch of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And he also said in Luke twelve forty nine, I am come to send fire upon the earth, and what will I if it already be kindled? So Jesus was like anxious for the time that this for that this fire would come upon the earth. Yeah, I was thinking about in how in Hebrews twelve twenty nine it speaks about there and uh actually in starting at twenty eight, therefore since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And that to me is totally exciting because he is fire and he is he's a consuming fire. And in fact, in in uh in the book of Revelation it also talks about him and talks about his eyes are like flames of fire mm-hmm. and and how just looking in his eyes, and I mean, and then in Moses, uh, Moses' burning bush experience in Exodus 3, 1 through 15, it speaks about Moses and the burning bush. And it says now, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he fled the flock to back to the back of the desert. Oh, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Amen. Then Moses said, "I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the, why the bush does not burn?" So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then it goes on to speak about how he's going to make him the deliverer and of, of, the, of the oppressed slaves there, of his people. But this is a perfect example right here of how our God is indeed a consuming fire. And Moses, when he was in the mountain there, when he was up in the mountain and he saw that bush burning, well, you know, there were several bushes that would burn because, you know, they catch on fire for whatever reason because they're in the, it was pretty much in the desert and it was, you know, it would catch on fire. And so he didn't really think much about it. But then it says in verse four, so when the Lord, let's see, but then it says in three, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush does not burn. And can you imagine, like, having a burning bush start talking to you? That would be pretty, pretty, pretty wild and pretty, 
intense. So uh, my pastor has, has said this quite often, and I, I pretty much agree with him because, well, I, I can relate to what he's saying. He's like, it's, although what I'm about to say is not scriptural, it's not in the scriptures, it's not in the Bible. I just want to make that clear. It's not in the Bible. But he says that when he gets to heaven, he wants to pull the virtual uh, reality tapes because when Moses looked at Pharaoh and Pharaoh looked into his eyes, he saw the fire of God burning, you know, the flames of God looking at him. And that's not in the Bible, but I can just relate. Sometimes when I look at people that are like that, especially our pastors, I see, I see that holiness and I see, I see Jesus looking back at me and I see just clear, pure, pure, you know, pureness looking back. I see Jesus in their eyes and I see that fire and, and that's like, that's like, um, you know, so. Yeah. You know, you had um, talked about the bush not burning, you know, so if there is a bush that's not consumed and that's notable, that means that there are bushes also that are consumed. And so likewise, it's the same with us. So the question for me, for people now is, so if there's a if if God is a consuming fire, then how do we have the fire on us without being consumed? Well, this is a this is Isaiah chapter thirty three fourteen. The uh, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless ones. Who among us can dwell in with the devouring fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He that despises the gain of oppressions. That shakes the hands that shaketh his hands away from taking a bribe, that stops his ears from the hearing of blood, and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. I just want to really break that down because, you know, it's explaining here how to be someone that when the fire comes, you're, you're purified by not judged by it. You know, because he is a consuming fire, so it's either going to consume the chaff or it's going to consume you if you don't let the chaff be consumed. And it's, so he who walks righteously. So now the question is, Christian, um, are you justifying sin in your life? Are you are you are you are you purposely you know avoiding the areas that God's trying to deal with you on, you know are you avoiding His refining fire of His Word and His fire and you know what He's trying to do in your life, are you do you have pet sins that you're holding on to, if you're you know you may feel okay now but understand when this when this fire and this glory comes to the church the day is going to come when like Ananias and Sapphira who hold, hold blatant sin in their lives and wouldn't repent of it you know they premeditatively lied. And they came into the presence of God. They dropped dead, and then we will see that we'll see that again coming. We'll see that coming again to the church. So now is the time that we, as the church, have to purify ourselves. So when the fire does come, that we're not judged by it. The Bible says, "He who decides the gain of oppressions." That means that you know, if you're in business, whatever the case may be, that you don't make your gain off of uh, deceiving and oppressing other people. That you you turn that stuff well, you don't justify it by you know, well, you know, God wants me blessed. You know, it says that he who take, who shakes his hands away from taking a bribe. The Bible says that bri- a bribe, you know, wards off your discernment. So, like, I mean, are you are you you know would uh, have you sold your soul for the dollar? I mean, have you have you well have you have you let somebody offering you some money turn yourself turn turn your head? You know, I know of a man of God uh, named Matthew Kumkum who you know he's a pol- he's in politics. You want to talk about purity? You know, he was offered thirty three million dollars just to turn his head on something. But he said, no, I'm not going to take it. Why? Because he, cause he's a man who wants to dwell with everlasting burnings. Amen? And it stops his ears from the hearing of blood. This means that when there's people gossiping about other Christians, 
you know, because the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue, that you're going to stop them and say, I'm, I don't want to hear that. You're not. And, you know, if you find yourself, you know, you know, maliciously, purposely talking to her other brothers and sisters, you know, and, you know, and slandering or, you know, think, speaking things not for edification purposes, that you're going to you're going to you're going to turn away from that. And you're going to not only will you not say it yourself, but you're, you're going to turn your ears away from it. And you might lose some friends over that. But this, that's really important. And lastly, he who shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. You know, what kind of movies do you watch? You know, what and you know, what kind of music do you listen to? You know, Christians tend to justify it seems like Christians these days will watch just about anything, you know, and but yet and they, they justify it by saying, Well, you know, I'm not convicted by it. Well, no, because your heart's hard. The bottom line, you know, a, a great man of God asked one day, said the Lord spoke to him and said, Why do my people entertain themselves with things to put the nails on my wrists? So so wow. why repeat that? Why he said God asked him, Why do my people entertain themselves with the things to put the nails on my wrist? Think about that. Jesus it caused Jesus to have to be put on a cross for it, yet we'll go pay ten bucks to watch it. We'll laugh at it. We just oh well, you know, we just overlook that. If it doesn't you know how close you are to God by the fact that the things that grieve your heart, grieve his heart. You know, I remember I remember one time, you know, the the Lord spoke gave me the scripture, and I'm not gonna go there, but it was in the story of Abraham and Lot. And in the story, the short version is Abraham, they, they, they separate, and Abraham goes far away from Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot winds up dwelling in a, in a, in a plain near Sodom. And you know, not too long after, he's actually dwelling in Sodom. And this is what the, the scripture says. It says that, he, that there being among their unrighteous deeds day and night was a vexing to his righteous soul. So he lived there not because he wanted to be in the sin, but he wanted to be surrounded by the prosperity of the land. But yet just being there among it, was a vexing to his righteous soul. Now, it's different if you're entering in somewhere for a missionary purpose, being a light in the darkness to tell people about Jesus. That's different, but that's not why he was there. And I remember when God convicted me about that. I remember I had, like, all these Christian friends that wanted to go into, like, places with really worldly atmospheres to go bowling or whatever the case may be, and God really touched my heart that, you know, why are you going to go into a place where everyone's drinking, everyone's smoking, everyone's, you know, listening to really, like, horrible worldly music just for the sake of your entertainment? Why would you do that? And God convicted me about it, and I mean, and I couldn't, and I I couldn't do what the other people were doing because why? Because I wanted to stop my ears from hearing that for the sake of my entertainment. Amen. So and that and there's so it, failure to purify and sanctify yourself in conjunction with the grace of God, asking God for His fire to purify us, will actually keep you from walking in this end time glory. Why? Because if you if it came upon you, it very possibly could consume you. A lot of people are crying out for a glory to come that if it came, and frankly, half the church would drop dead right now. So it is a consuming fire, but if we but if we let the Lord purify us, we'll not be consumed by it. The sin in our lives will be consumed by it. Amen. Amen to that. That's that's a word right there. Why do you keep listening to you, and why do you keep doing the things that put nails in my wrist? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, one, and starting off with. 12 verse 12 then i turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned i saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands one like the son of man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girdled about the chest with a golden band his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, 
His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And in, the, in, that, in these verses, his eyes, well, first of all, I, what, what drew me right here when I was reading it was his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. To me, that means totally completely pure, totally spotless, totally holy, and his eyes like a flame of fire. And then his voice is the sound of many waters. And then sun shining in its strength and how bright his, his glory is. Like Adam was talking about, if you really had all of his glory, you know, you, you'd fall down and you might, you know, you just might might die because of you weren't ready for it. But it says here, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. <clears throat> and that is what uh, Pentecostals and other uh, people referred to as just falling under the power, falling under the weight of uh, and the glory of God. Uh, some people call it slain in the spirit, which is not really the right term, because if he's going to slay you in the spirit, he would be dead. He'd be dead. So it's just a term that came about, which is inaccurate, but it's, it's just basically falling on the power. When, when the supernatural comes in contact with the natural, especially someone as pure and holy and perfect and majestic and glorious as he is, then you're going to fall under, you're going to fall under the power. Not always will you fall, but a lot of people, when they get in contact with that, they fall. Now, just because you don't fall doesn't mean you've not had an experience. Just because you don't have a manifestation such as joy or running around the building or just, you know, falling under the power does not mean that you have, are not touched or not being touched. And then another instance is there are, are certain cases I've had friends share with me or even a pastor share one time that he uh, he wanted to he, he wanted to have that control so he he, he um you know his knees and he locked his legs and knees and he wouldn't allow to go under the power. It was a pride issue he had and a control thing that he hadn't totally turned over to God. But, um, and, and again, I'm not saying that if you don't fall, you're not having a, a encounter with God. But I, I do know that the presence and power of God is so strong that people are sometimes just unable to stand up. And in John 18:6, it speaks of now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And that's referring to when the soldiers came to to ask Jesus, ask you know where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, "I am He." They fell back to the ground, and then that happened to them another time. And in Psalm twenty three two, it says, "He makes me to lie down in green pastures." So there are a lot of a lot of you know 
differing opinions on that. I've fallen out on the power several times, and I know it's real. Yes, there are probably cases of people who knock other people down or try and make them fall or, or such over the case, but but not when not when I've had true encounters with the Holy Spirit and just yielding to to him and and his power amen you know and uh you know it's like the, a lot of times they'll refer to when you're lying on the floor under the power as god's operating table that's a that's one of the man that's a man that's, and that's a way where the manifestation of the the presence and the fire of god can actually do a refining work and do a work in your heart so people that have pride issues that won't yield to it they're gonna they're gonna they're actually hindering God, what God actually wants to do in their life, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Again, you don't have to fall. I remember when I first started learning how to receive from the Lord. You know, um, Pastor, one of our pastors came and laid hands on me, and honestly, I felt nothing. But she says the fire of God right there. You know, and and I knew that God was doing a work in my life, even though at that time I didn't feel it. You know, uh, one great man of God I know of once he was actually preaching on the very thing we're preaching on now, the fire of God, and there was this big altar call, and he asked the people standing at the altar, "Why do you judge what you receive by what you feel?" So in other words, you can't necessarily judge it by what you feel or don't feel. Really, the key is you have to receive by faith. You know, when you you know, it's like you, you go to church and just you go in there and say, God, I don't care what I feel, don't feel, whatever the case may be. I just believe with all my heart and I receive it now by faith. You know, and a lot of times it's like you know, I know of people that have been touched, they felt nothing, but then later on they go home and lay at night, and all of a sudden it's like the, the glory of God manifests and starts changing their lives. So it's not so as Deborah's saying, it's not a feeling, but at the same time you can't necessarily resist because you don't because of pride, because you don't want to look silly, because of whatever the case may be. You must lay your pride, what people think about you, your reputation at the door. Jesus was a man of no reputation, and if we're going to walk in him, we have to be men of no reputation because sometimes God's going to tell us to say things we don't want to say. He's going to cause us to do things we don't want to do, and it's not really about people's opinions. I remember once. God was telling me to do something, and I didn't want to do it because I figured the people around me would think I was flaky. But then God told me, he spoke to me and said, you know, you're nobody's servant but mine. So in short, it really didn't matter because I, because I wasn't their servant. I was his. So it's very, very important that, you know, it's pride and it's disobedience, and you have to decide who's your God, what people think or what God thinks about you. Amen. <clears throat> and uh, also, yeah, that's very true because, only as they as the, they often say go you know have have the holy spirit go go where the knife of man cannot go uh which you know years of counseling and 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 treatments and whatever that people have tried in in the natural only god knows how to how to fix people mm-hmm. and and how to literally go where the knife of god you know, can only go where man can't go. Mm-hmm. And in Malachi 3, 2, it speaks of, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, when uh, silver is purified, there is a story about this lady who had, I guess she was at a Bible study, and they were learning about refining, you know, being good through the refiner's fire and and the silver, uh, how, and so she went and she was at, 
she went to an actual person purified silver that refined the fire and, and the silver and the gold and so she went she observed him and what he do he, he have this uh this this metal thing and it had all the stuff in it and it was over this really huge uh, big, you know, hot fire, and then all these things would come to the surface, and then he'd scoop them, and he'd he'd toss them out in another in another container, and then some time went by, there was nothing. It was just, you know, no no movement except that it was hot, and about however however many minutes later, some more stuff came to the surface. He got it, scooped it up, and and put it in the other container. And this happened for some time on and off. And so finally the lady asked him, she said, what exactly, you know, why, how do you do this? And he says, I have it to where it's hot enough to where it's, it's, it's burning all the impurities out, bringing it to the surface so I can scoop it out and take it out of it so it's getting purer more pure as I'm doing this and she says well aren't you and he says I I never take I never take my eye off of it so it's never going to get hurt it's never going to get ruined it's never going to over overheated and she said to him how do you know when when you're done, how do you know when all the impurities are out of it? <laughs> and he said, when I can see my reflection in it. So when he can see his reflection in that silver, he knows it's done. And he makes whatever, he makes a candlestick or he makes a pot or he makes tea, pot, whatever it is that he's going to make from it. So when he sees his reflection just like when Jesus looks at us and sees our reflection, obviously we're evidently a work in progress forever, but I thought that was a really cool analogy. Amen. And, you know, we're talking, you're talking about like the, the refiner's fire. And so this is what the Bible says. And this is Romans five, three, starting with, and it says, not only so we glory in tribulations also knowing the tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy ghost, which is given to us. So basically what he's saying is that we don't rejoice just in heaven to come, but we rejoice in the tribulations because he's using those tribulations as what she's talking about, a refiner's fire in our life. And what happens is when we go through those pressures, when we go through those fires, what's really in our heart will inevitably come to the surface. Now we have a choice at that point. We can either justify those things or we can blame those things like, well, if they weren't being this way, then I wouldn't be so angry. Or if this didn't happen and that's their fault, or you can say, you know, Lord, regardless of what they're doing, this stuff wouldn't be coming up to the surface if it wasn't there. So thank you for allowing that to bring this to the surface. But I hate this, and I don't want this in my heart. Please take it out. And then God, through a process, will begin to remove it from your heart. However, if you begin to justify it, then it won't leave your heart. It'll go back down, you know, once the trials cool off. And then you'll just be, you know, and if God and God's just going to have to start over again. So justification is a very big thing. You know, so I'll say it like this. You can write this down. What you justify is what you buy. So think about think of it that way. So if you justify things in your life, you make excuses for things in your life, 
then you've basically bought those things. They'll never go away. But if you say, God, I see it. I admit it. Thank you for allowing this to come to the surface. The problem is not them. The problem is me. And, uh, and, and then let God remove that thing from your heart. The good news is the Bible says if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When those things, we, God, God already knows they're there. He's just allowing things to come to so we can see that they're there. And if we'll be honest with him and bring them to him and say, God, I, Dad, I don't want to be like this. Please help me. He already knew it was there in the first place. That's why he allowed the trial. Because you have to understand something about God. If a trial is too big for you to handle, he'll actually block it. So if there are trials that come into our lives, then he actually allows – and it's not a result of our own disobedience. We're walking before him, but he allows a trial to come alive. It was for the purpose of refining. Now, the devil intends to – I want to emphasize God is not the author of these trials. The devil is the author of the trials. However, God allows it for the purpose of refining you. You can think of it this way. It's kind of like revenge on the devil. It's like God uses the very people that the devil tries to destroy to destroy his kingdom, and that's really what he's doing. You know, so that's very, very key to understand that, you know, uh, a great man of God said once, you know, he says, you know, we can plant a seed on this podium and we can pray and fast for the next 3,000 years and nothing will happen. Why? Because a seed, when it goes in the ground, has certain pressures, certain conditions that it has to be through. Like you don't plant palm trees in Alaska, for example. So every plant, every tree has a certain conditions and certain soils and certain prescription things that it has to go through for it to break open and produce life and become its destiny. So in the same way, the things that God's placed on the inside of you, the Bible says unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. There's certain heat, there's certain pressures, there's certain things you have to go through that produce the, the death of the flesh in you so that those things can break open and produce life. And if you and if one of those things and we have to go through those things so that we can and understand that it's not comfortable. There's never death without pain. So you, you have to understand that. Very, very important. And, um, you know, I remember like when I was going through Bible school, I remember walking around feeling like, man, I just I knew and I knew it wasn't physical. I just felt like my heart was being squeezed in my chest. And I'm like, man, God, what's the deal? And and I remember, you know, listening to somebody who had gone through the same thing, saying that God had told him just that, you know, that you're dying and there's never death without pain. So I knew I was going through a process of death. And unfortunately, that's just something that's really, really foreign to American Christianity. You know, so often we'll seek the power. We'll seek this and that. But unfortunately, the purifying fire is not something we're going to walk through and understand something. It's not just trials. It's trials in the midst of obedience that refine you. So if you're disobedient, then understand that those trials are the stores you've actually opened up the devil for. That's, doing, that, that's not what's going to refine you. It's when you choose, when you're walking in obedience and you go through the fire, that's when you're refined. Right. Exa- exactly. Like Jonah. Mm-hmm. When he was, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, and he was disobedient, and he went on, he thought it was going to be a luxury liner cruise, but he, uh, God sent a storm, and then uh, they threw him over, and the storm stopped for them, so he got in, then he sent, he was very gracious and sent the whale uh, to get him Mm -hmm. and swallow him up for three days. You know, I was going to ask you a question about that uh, heart. You're talking about the pain in your heart, mm-hmm. how I guess that was. So basically what you're saying is, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that when you had those pains in your heart and you talked to some other people also like that, and it was it was after you were going through some stuff. And so God was basically de- doing a work in your heart, kind of like doing surgery, taking stuff out or whatever. He He was literally causing this process. He was using the trials that I was going through. Cause I remember, you understand I me, mean, Bible school for me uh, was a very tough time. I remember like, I just, when I couldn't think the fire could get any hotter, it would get hotter. And, I, and all God would say to me is that my grace is sufficient. I'm thinking to myself, I really don't, 
but I want grace. I want sleep, you know, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was so intense. And then every time I thought, okay, I'm good. I, it would just get tougher. And I remember like walking around with this like inexplicable pain in my chest and I knew it wasn't physical. And I'm like, well, what's going on? And I remember like said a great man of God saying through he, when he was going through all these trials and he felt like he felt that pain in his heart and he asked God what it was. And he says, there's never death without pain. So there was, there's a death to self that comes and the problem is most Christians actually run from that process when it starts to happen rather than going through it. It's not fun, but this is why you have to have the eternal perspective. I will say that without the, without the eternal perspective, you'll never endure the fire of God because you, because you're, you're just focused on your temporary comfort. This is about eternity. Our life is a vapor. We need to let God do whatever he wants to do us, no matter how, how pain and no matter how painful it might be, because in the end it's going to result in, you know, many souls being saved into the kingdom. Right, you know, you were talking about that. The reason I was just, I've experienced that myself, so that's why I was asking, and I, I knew it wasn't physical, but I also know that I was going through some issues at the time, and I was having having a hard time, or something hurt my feelings, or just whatever it was, and so I was I was pretty down, but I did I didn't know how to how to deal with it. Yeah, I, yes, I talked to the Lord and, and about it, and so. I I feel like those pains that were going on for that time with him, like doing surgery in my heart. Mm-hmm. So I was asking you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, and I absolutely agree with that. And thankfully, uh, many sometimes you know if the if the if it's getting too intense, you know there is the joy of the Lord that the Lord if you want to use say well can use as an anesthesia during the operation, if you will. So, but understand something, there will be pain, there will be, there will be tears. The Bible says that the, the, the man who sows in tears will reap with joy. So there is, there, it's not always fun, it's not always paradise, and that's often what happens. I remember when I first came to the Bible school, but God was being touched by the presence of God mightily, and man, you're thinking, Jesus, it's paradise. But then, as time goes on, the trials start kicking in, the difficulties start kicking in, you're being stretched in every, and the flesh, the flesh wars against the spirit, the flesh doesn't want to die. But it, and it's going to kick and it's going to scream and it's going to fight in that process. You just got to keep going through the process. The good news is that this is not something we accomplish ourselves. It's really we just follow Jesus and seek His face and become hungry for Him, which I'm about to talk about. But and 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 then it's it's like as we draw near, it's like He bring He allow you don't you don't have to search for the fire. You know, I mean, as far as like the trials and tribulations, trust me, they'll find you. You know, but you just have to obey the Lord and He and and He'll and trust me, the devil. The devil will intend for them to destroy you, but God will use them if you'll stay obedient to refine you. But again, if you're not obedient, then the trials can destroy you. The fire can destroy you. But again, obedience that God will use it to turn around and make you a weapon against the devil in his, in his, in his kingdom. Right. Pat, um, one of our pastors, he says that his father-in-law or his father, I forget which one, says that the flesh is a pig. Doesn't want to do, doesn't want to do what the spirit wants to do. And you got to, you got to keep it, keep it in, in check there. So, you know, and I'm going to go to revelations chapter three now. And in this chapter, this it speaks of a church that Jesus is telling him that he wants to do something in them. And he tells them how that, how it's got to be accomplished and uh, bear with me. Uh, I'm going to the church of Laodicea. Let me find the verse here. And to the church of Laodicea, this is actually Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel in the church in Laodicea, these things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I would, and I would thou that were cold or hot, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, there's a lot of uh, debate about what that means, but really you don't have to debate. Scripture interprets scripture. He tells them why they're lukewarm. Because you say I'm rich and have gotten riches and have no need of nothing, and you know not that you're uh, wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Laodicea had come to a place where their financial wealth had been allowed to lull them into a state of complacency, and they think, man, we're good. We don't, we don't, need, we don't need nothing. We're blessed. But they had lost their hunger and need for God. So therefore, and God was saying, well, you're really actually blind and you're poor because you don't need me anymore. Uh, and this is why he, this is what he says to them. So I, therefore, this is the cure. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Say buy. That's, that's the key word there. To buy from me gold refined in the fire, you might become rich. And white garments, you might clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness, they might not be manifest. And I shall to anoint the eyes that I see. So how do we buy the gold? We come to God with our lives surrendered, and we, di- and we diligently seek his presence, and we come to know him and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you like never before. And when our hearts are sincere and we're willing to let God do whatever he wants to do in us, that we might come to that place, then he's going to start, he's going to, he's going to start a purifying work. He's going to start having you lay things down. He's going to start having you trade your life for what? For his. You're going to begin to buy the fire. You're going to begin to buy this gold, refine the fire. Why? By laying down that fake gold. You know, whatever your idol is, whatever things God deals with you on, you might have his fire. Amen. Um, you know, and think about it. We have to understand that God sees everything. So if we're going to begin to draw near to him, then guess what? Then he's going to then he's going to he's going to start exposing the stuff that he sees that you don't see. Amen. When when uh, Deborah was talking about the Lord's eyes being like a flame of fire, that that's representative of him, the fact that nothing is hidden before his sight. He sees everything. Everything. He sees the stuff you don't see. And just understand, if you draw near, everyone's like, yeah, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But understand that as you draw near, there's a purification process that's going to start happening there. And it's almost like when people really get serious and then the, the trials come, they start backing off because it gets too hard. No, you, the Bible says if, you, if your soul draws back, he'll have no pleasure in you. You need to keep pressing into his kingdom, saying, God, no price is too high. My life is nothing without you. I got to have you. You know, our own pastor said, you know, God touched him when he came to a place when he says, you know, God, you know, he just cried out of desperation and came out for God, if you don't, if you don't touch me, I'm going to come up there and touch you. It was just desperation, you know, and I remember in my own life, you know, I was going, th- I was, I was, uh, I was going through this thing, you know, I went to a, <laughs> I went to a Christian 12 step group, which wasn't all bad, but the problem with a lot of these groups is that they, they're, they're hospitals for the sick. But the problem is, is that in a good hospital, people get better. People weren't getting better. It didn't seem like, it just seemed like people just talked about the same issues every day, you know? So I just got hungry and I just saw, and I just desperately sought God and, you know, God, your word says, if I seek you, I'll find you, but I got to have you. And then one night in my room, just after diligently just saying, God, I don't care what I'm going to do. I was just worshiping. And out of my spirit came this cry, God, if you don't touch me, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be satisfied. And God hit my room like an atomic bomb. And like what Deborah was talking about, God began to do, in a very short period of time, began to do things in me that no counseling, no anything could have done. He was, he began to do the work in me. Now I have no problem with counseling. You know, if it's by the spirit of God, you know, God's leading you to, that's cool. But and because God led me to that, but like I said, but the, the work God did to me at this point was something only that only happened in His fire. That could only happen when I got desperate. That could only happen as I drew near, you know, and and got and then He He began to do the work in me. But that comes that comes as we get desperate and hungry for Him. You're not going to cat. You're not going to be casual and get the fire. He, he comes to those who diligently seek Him in faith, not those that casually seek Him in doubt. If you're going to have the purifying work of God in your life, it's not just going to come to you. It's going to come as you seek Him, because the purpose of the purifying work is for those that are desperately seeking after Him. Why? 
because he sees their desperate need for him, so therefore he purifies them so he can answer their heart's cry to be close to them. Right, and exactly, and also the same the same fire that is purifying us and all of that in the same way that the the story I was giving about how the person does the the refining refines the silver and the gold, how he was watching it every time to make sure it didn't get overheated and it didn't it didn't basically to get destroyed in the same way that he's watching that God is watching us in that fire and the same fire that is purifying us also uh, protects us from our enemies. So just like the three Christian, the three Hebrew boys, the three, the three boys there when they would not bow and, and uh, to an idol and they said, we'll make it, you know, so it was seven times hotter and throw throw them in. It, it killed all their enemies around there. Ha! And then hallelujah, they threw them in. And then when they looked, they said, didn't we throw three men in the fire? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, there's four men in the fire. And the fourth man looks like the son, of, the son of God. They didn't know. Nobody ever told them. Nobody said, hey, this is the son of God. When you, when you, when you see him, you'll know him, what they, whether they introduce him or not. So... And, and and when you were talking about um, some other things, it made me think about how even in, we can even hide under a bed in the darkest closet and sin, but it's like you say, you're talking about the fire in his eyes, he sees all. Mm-hmm. And, and we can, we can, we can literally... Uh, you know, hide under the bed or in the darkest closet and, and do whatever kind of sin, but he still sees it. So um, it doesn't matter. We can, and it just doesn't matter because he still, he, he, he is, he knows everything. So with that, with that, um, I'm sorry. Uh, with that, I had some technical difficulties there. <laughs> um, I uh, I had, uh, but with that, he can he can do he can do he can do anything he wants to do as long as you're open because. He can do anything he wants to do because if you're open to it. The thing is, like I said, what Deborah's taught, trying to say is that, you know, because he sees all, we just have to be willing to completely not try to hide anything from him. Because the thing about the Lord is, like, he doesn't come and force himself. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's only gonna come into the areas that you allow him to come into. So basically, and that's what it means to really to him be Lord of your life. You're, you know, no area of your life is laid. Is is hit? You're is you're trying to hide it from him. You let him into every room, and you say, "God, do whatever you got to do." And these are people; those are the people that are going to be purified by him on that, and that are going to stand before him in righteousness on that. It's, it's not going to be the people that try to hide things. There is no halfway Christianity, and that's what American Christians need to grab. You know, um, you know, they were talking to people in a uh, in a persecuted church, and the people in the persecuted church, you know, said that uh, the guy, well, the guy said, "Well, we I fear for I fear for our freedom." 
And the guy's like, well, what do you mean you fear for your freedom? He's like, well, I'm worried. The, the pastor was saying, well, I'm worried that, you know, if my people, you know, just, you know, if persecution stops, you know, which which is a form of fire, if, if the persecution stops, then my people are just going to become like carnal. And he goes, and he goes, and think about and what, and what another pastor from a persecuted church said. He goes, you know, in America, you have religious freedom, but you don't have, but, but spiritually you're in bondage. Here we have no religious freedom, but spiritually we're free. You know, now I don't believe that you have to go through persecution to be free spiritually, although it, it will come to those that live godly in Christ. We should be able to be free spiritually and close to God in comfort or in difficulty. I hate to say that most people, more people actually fall in the midst of comfort than in difficulty. Difficulty drives you to your knees. But if we're mature, we can draw near to God and be close to God in com- and enjoy comfort and enjoy difficulty. Although I will say, you know, that's why I, I do believe in prosperity, but I don't believe that every Christian should necessarily be financially rich. Why? Because they kill a lot of Christians because of their, because of their character. They need God to do a refining work in their life to be able to put their, that in their hands. Amen. Amen to that, because it's like you're talking about our, our pastor, Pastor Adonikos, talks about and uh, gives an illustration of how we say, oh, Lord, please, please do a work in us. And I mean, not exactly like her, but it's kind of, you get the gist of it. You know, because people generally want the Lord to do a work, but then it's, it's, it's not that area. That's a little bit too, a little bit too, uh, a little bit too painful or a little bit too whatever it is. And so she gives the analogy of, of having your your you know you're at your house and you have guests over, well you know sometimes how you get you get the um, you get all the laundry and and all the stuff in one room and you 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 put it in all the closet and stuff it in there it's like a cartoon and and it, you know you can barely shut it if you open it everything would fall out and then you get some other room and you throw a bunch of stuff in there and shut the door. And then you take them on a tour, but you don't, and you know, you don't take them on those different parts of the house that are really kind of messy. And so, but when God comes and touches us, then he, he wants to go to straight to those rooms that are messy, that are dirty, that are all of those things and he wants to come there so he can do a work there and he can make you freer because he can't do through you what you won't let him do in you. So he, you know, in order to do that, we have to let him into those, those, those places that are painful and those places that are ugly and those places that are messy and the places that we thought we dealt with. So basically that's like, that's an example of that too. You know, um, I remember when I had that experience where God touched my life so dramatically is like the Lord really did, you know, it was really true that the Bible says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But what happened, it was like overnight God began to begin to speak to me so much and so clearly. And he really was coming into every room. It was like, he actually took my plea seriously to God. I got to have all of you. And he just started inviting himself in, you know, (laughs) in the same way that in a marriage, you know, the husband, you know, when the husband knows that he's welcome at all times, when the wife knows that he's involved at all times and God compares a relationship to marriage, then we don't necessarily have to always say, Oh, come Holy spirit, because he already knows he's invited, you know, um, and he'll just, and he'll just show up because he knows that we're, 
that were um, you know that were submitted to him and that we that we want him to come. It grieves his heart when we try to like compartmentalize it and try to only have him come at certain times. You know, I'm going to read um, a scripture going back to how like trials refine us, you know, in the fire. And this is a scripture, and this this will blow your mind if you don't really understand this. But this is where this is Jesus speaking to Peter, and this is what he says: Simon Peter, behold, Satan has asked that he might sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that you fail not, and do thou that once you've turned again, establish thy brethren. And then Peter goes, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he says, "Tell." And he says, "I tell you, Peter, the cock, the the cock shall not crow this day until you shall de- deny me three times." And he said to them, "When I sent you forth without a purse and a wallet, lacked you anything?" And they said nothing. And then he starts talking about provision for their journey. You know, so what's he saying? He's saying that you know what? Because Satan has to ask permission to do anything. And so he goes, "Satan's asked to sit you." And this is what's crazy. Jesus doesn't say, "But yea, verily, Peter, my hand of protection is on you, and I'm not going to let it happen." No, he's actually saying, "Peter, I'm going to let it happen." But he goes, "But when you return, strengthen your brethren." So Jesus already knew that Peter was going to deny him. So, so, what, so what's the purpose of this? Because he, because Jesus talks about it as it's sifting. What is sifting is wheat. You're sifting stuff out of the wheat that's not supposed to be there. Peter was a very headstrong man, and he was very strong in his own strength. And in his own strength, he's like, I'll die for Jesus. But yet Jesus knew that he was strong in his own self, but he wasn't really strong in the Lord. Therefore, he allowed Satan to come in and bring persecution and trials in his life that Peter might be that Peter might come to the end of him on his own self and really see where he's at, that he can come to the Lord and you know be dependent on the Lord. That's very, very key. And that's one of the purposes of the refining fire in our life is to separate is to separate us from our own strength that we might learn to rely on the Lord. And again, that's a process only God can do in our lives. I know of a story of a, a boy who was uh, who got radically saved, and he was saved, and he really was walking with Jesus. But yet, um, his pastor said he knew that there was a ref- that there was this breaking process that had to happen in his life, to where he would learn to depend on the Lord and not his own on his own strength. And one thing after another, the process started. I mean, the man, <laughs> and again, the devil does this. But God allows these things sometimes for whatever it goes through, and each process for us is different. But this go this kid, I mean, he he had a friend, he had a friend die, and then he and then he his father got terribly ill, and he he like, he fasted and prayed and confessed all of his scriptures, and he knew, man, the Lord's going to heal my dad. And then his um and and then somebody had a vision of the Lord standing next to his dad's bed, ready to take him home. And so within a very short period, this 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 kid lost two very important people to him. And he went out in the woods and he began to cry out to God. And it felt like God wasn't even there. And he's like, God, I mean, where are you at? And he, and honestly, for a minute, he got angry with God and actually went out and uh, turned, and for a minute turned away from the Lord, just like Peter did in this scripture. What had happened, he was brought to the end of his own strength. He was brought to the end of his own self. And then, but it, when, but then he turned back to the Lord and the Lord restored his relationship. And in the end, he had a closer relationship with him before. And I want to emphasize you don't have to turn away from the Lord. I'm not saying that, you know, hey, go off and get drunks. You know, that's going to prove you're, you know, being separated from your own strength. We're not saying that. But I am saying the Lord will use a process to, to bring you to the end of your own strength, that you might know that your dependency on him and the devil. And when those attacks come many times, that's the purpose of that. And, you know, I, I know that in my own life, you know, I've had to learn to become more dependent on the Lord and everything. And the Lord will actually purpose, purposely, you know, had me go through very, seemingly allowed me to go through very, very difficult circumstances that I might learn to rely, you know, purely on his grace. You know, even in my crazy, of all, in my crazy work situation, even that's a fire. Why? Because it's been a pressure. I remember I went through this thing where um, they started setting like 
it seems like small compared to what some other people go through, but keep in mind, I'm there every day, eight hours a day. And we had this, we have this boss that would come out and just cuss people out and fire people on the spot. Yet the Lord says to say, and then like, and then they would set these ridiculous like sales goals during the hardest season of the year and say, you're not getting commission. If you don't meet this goal, you just get your measly, very small hourly pay. And I'm like, what's the deal? Okay. I'm quitting. And the guy's like, no, you're staying. And I'm like, really? You know, but my, but his grace is sufficient. And the Lord spoke to one of my pastors saying, well, then you need to believe God to meet that goal, even though it might be impossible in the natural, it's possible in the supernatural. And then sure enough, just about every week, supernaturally, I met that goal. And, you know, and I didn't see my pay go down. You know, I, I saw my pay stay the same even through a very difficult period. So even in the midst of that trial, the, that, the Lord used that to learn how, that I couldn't rely on my own, just on my own skill and my own ability to do my job. I had to supernaturally rely on the grace of God in that very difficult situation. So we can't run from those situations. We have to learn to listen to the Holy Ghost and stay where he tells us to stay, no matter how difficult it gets. Again, he will lead you into the hard places, not the easy places. Very, very important to understand that. So when things don't get hard, be like, well, this must be the devil. Well, no. Well, the devil might be attacking you, but God's actually allowing it for the purpose of refining you. So just that's very, very important to understand. And... You know, I know that as I've uh, as I've sought the Lord, you know, the, the Bible says that, you know, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So understand in that drawing near process, like I said, there is a purifying work that's going to happen and it will come in the form of the devil trying to attack you and bring issues in your life. So, you know, it's funny thing about the devil, you know, it's like you think he would eventually learn, but, you know, he, he always makes war against the saints. But yet, but again, just like in the story of Joseph, I'm not going to get all up into it, but in the story of Joseph, you know, Joseph, I mean, his brothers inspired by hell, you know, try to kill him. Then they decide, you know, let's make some money off. And they threw him into a pit, sold him as a slave. Then, but he, Joseph stays obedient. And then, you know, the, he, in the, as a slave and the, the master's wife decides she wants to sleep from him. Joseph obeys God. He runs from sexual immorality. And in, and what happens? He winds up getting thrown into a prison. Every time, he, and you know, people say, well, if you just obey God, everything will fall into place. Well, eventually. But you know what? Sometimes when you obey God, it's seemingly going to get worse. Why? Because the devil's trying to deter you. And so he gets thrown into a prison. And he's, and even this isn't like 12 days. This is 12 years. And he's there in the prison. And then, you know, the short end of the story is that People in the, in the prison meeting have dreams, and God gives them the gift of interpreting their dreams, and God uses those dreams eventually to bring him before Pharaoh, and the very vision that he had that made his brothers so angry and caused them to, to throw him into the pit in the, per, the pit in the first place was actually what was actually what brought him into the presence of Pharaoh and eventually brought him into second command over all of Egypt. So understand. But again, the key is that Joseph stayed obedient and didn't grow bitter in the midst of the trials. The trials actually refined him and prepared him to be ruler over the second command of Egypt. And that's very, very key to understand. So that means that there's no devil, no preacher, no pastor. Nobody can get you out of the will of God but you. You know, I was um, talking with Deborah earlier, and we were I, I had showed her a story. And in the story, there was this... Uh, it was a, it was an illustration to illustrate eternal things, and there was a girl in the story who had um, a teacher who was supposed to there be there to help her, but actually take advantage of her, and uh, mm-hmm. and in this and she got very very bitter and very angry, and she never repented of it. And in the story, she stands before the king that represents Jesus, and Jesus tells her the king that represents Jesus tells her what this man did to you was the worst of evil, but that's not what destroyed your life. It was your refusal to forgive that destroyed your life. So don't. So if you if you have, you know, things in your life, 
to understand no matter what people do to you, only you can get you out of the will of God, nobody else. Right, that is very true. And and it may it may be hard at that moment to uh to wonder why we're you know, because it's on us of whether we choose to forgive because that's a choice in that in that story you were talking about she couldn't let go of of the fact of what he'd done and yes what he did to her was wrong we're not discounting that and we're not discounting anything that you've been through as 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 not wrong and not terrible and not unfair but she didn't forgive that person and she chose not to and the more that she chose to to not forgive then the harder her heart got in that in that regards. And um you know, I was thinking about in uh in the um in in uh let me see here, find my place. In in Leviticus nine twenty four it talks of it talks about instances of the fire of God coming down from from heaven. And in Leviticus 9.24, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. 1 Kings 18.38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And in 2 Chronicles 7, 1, when Solomon dedicates the temple, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's pretty awesome right there. So... I think that's actually pretty, pretty. I mean, awesome, and it's all through throughout Scripture of of the fire of God actually coming down and consuming, consuming these things. And you can research that in Leviticus nine twenty four. You can research the whole thing. And one Kings eighteen thirty eight, and two Chronicles seven one. And I was thinking about how. How our how God just his 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 fire you know his refiner's fire and how the process actually when a when a diamond is actually made it's it's like you were talking about earlier coal and it's it's in the it's in the uh, earth and it's subjected to over two thousand pounds of pressure and it's in darkness. And these geological processes taking place and everything that it, it, and then eventually that coal, it becomes a diamond. So, so I was, I was just thinking about that. You know, um, I was reading um, something a long time ago that just came to me and it was a, it was in a book by this guy named Francis Frangipane uh, called the three battlegrounds. And one of the things that it said in the book was, is that, um, you know, that with the people that the Lord has chosen to, that he's chosen for his holy ones, you would think that he would, um, you think he would like protect them like we would protect, like, you know, you know, like a diamond that, you know, it'll be guarded with security guards and nothing will touch it. 
but you would think that God would do that with us. But on the contrary, you know, in order to refine us and shape us into his image, it's quite the opposite. God actually, God actually causes us to go through like much pressure, like what Deborah was talking about, you know, and heat and, uh, and he called, and it's like, and he, it's actually, the Lord actually chooses to allow them to be crushed that the, that the end, and it says in the, in the article that the incense of their worship might come up to him. And so we have to be willing to allow those things to crush us that we might be made into his image. You know, the Bible says that we are the living stones that build up his house. So if you think about, think of it this way, the stones that build up God's house, you know, you would think that those, if this is the Lord's house. So they don't, they're only going to be the most pure stones. So that means that guess what? There's going to be some cutting and some refining. If you're going to be a living stone that's going to make up his house that you're going to have to go through to be a pure diamond for his house. Um, so just understand this, that becoming, you know, that's why Jesus says to count the cost. You know, we've, we've uh, promoted this effortless, easy chair Christianity, but that's not, that's not what this is. This is, you, this is you being a pilgrim passing through a hostile environment with an enemy that hates you, that's going to attack you, and the closer you get to fulfilling your destiny, the closer you get to the Lord, the more of a threat you are to him, and you're going to be attacked, and he's going to come against you. But the good news is that he says, you know, rejoice because I have overcome the world. You know, so you, you have a choice to whether be to overcome or be overcome by it. Amen. So and that's really what it boils down to. We have to be the ones that choose to overcome these attacks of the enemy, these trials that are allowed by the Lord. And the good news is the Bible is very clear that he doesn't he won't let us go through anything that we can't bear. So he will block like the, cause think about it, if the, you honestly think that if God wasn't holding the devil back, that the devil wouldn't just come kill each one of us. We'd be dead. But no, the Lord actually holds back much of what he wants to do, but he allows some of it what for what we can handle for the purpose of refining us to shape us for his glory. That's very good. And I was thinking about how after, you know, we spoke about Moses earlier in the burning bush and how the Lord was speaking to him about about going to about going to um about going to the uh to to be the uh deliverer. And so when, when, you know, eventually, eventually Moses went to Pharaoh and he talked to him and, well, through a series of events, he they, they finally let the people go. And when they were in the desert, it says in Exodus 13:21 that the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. So basically also not only that that was a, that was you know God going before them in the pillar of of the cloud but it was very hot during during the day. And so with that heat the cloud gave them some some coolness and gave them that and then at night in the desert it was it, it was more than a little bit cool, it gets quite cold in the desert sometimes. So that fire also kept them warm. But like like I said earlier, also that fire also uh, you know protected them from their enemies because the the the, the army that fled after them could not get through that fire. And it could not get, it couldn't get through it, and it couldn't get through any of that stuff. So, 
also I was thinking about in one Kings one Kings nineteen twelve. Well actually I'm gonna go to one if you turn in your Bible with me to one Kings nineteen. So I'll give you a second to get there. <clears throat> And it talks about God's revelation to Elijah. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Well, actually, let me see. Right, because he, he and let's see here. Yeah, so Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after fire a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped up, he wrapped in his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, "Where are you? What are you doing here, Elijah?" And basically, he was he was uh, he was not in all of those things. Even though he is a, even though he is a consuming fire, all of these things, he was in that still small voice as well. So when we are seeking and praying, he's also in that still small voice as well. So that's why it's very very important that uh as we're seeking the lord that we don't speak seek uh, specific manifestations we do need to cry out the lord for his refining fire and the purifying fire in our lives but again um that can take on you know many different ways that the lord wants to do those things in our lives so the very big danger comes when we seek specific manifestations like god you know i want to see an angel or i want to see the visible fire come upon me or whatever the case may be that if you if you seek those manifestations the devil will be more than happy to accommodate you really it's just you seek the lord and then as you diligently seek the lord with your full heart laid open and bare before him you know god you're truly willing you've counted the cost willing to let the lord do whatever he wants to do then, you know, he'll do it his way. So sometimes it'll come in a, in a great manifestation. Sometimes it'll come in a still, small voice. But do understand that there will be a refiner's fire that will come with it. But again, you don't have to seek out a specific experience or anything of that nature. You really just have to seek him. Because a lot of people think that God's only in the spectacular. But actually, you know, he's in he's in the small things, you know. Um, so that's very, very key to understand. I know that... Um, you know, in my time uh, as I, you know, sought the Lord, you know, he sold me one day. He knows I'm not, he says, I'm not coming for those that wish they had time to seek me. I'm coming for those that are seeking me. You know, and as I've gotten busier, that's still a very pertinent word to me that if I've, if I've not found time to seek after his presence, to diligently seek his face, it's because I've found other things that are more important to me. And, uh, you know, and I, I've mentioned this guy named uh, Francis Frangipane, and he went through that whole thing. You know, where and he eventually he eventually just had to set a line in the sand, saying, "No, you know, my time with God is more important." You know, so it's very, very diligent, it's important that you make time for the Lord. In the same way that if a married couple they don't make time to be apart with each other, if you don't make time to be apart with the Lord, eventually His voice will start going more and more distant, and you know, and they're in this like it's like you begin to just coast, and eventually you start going backwards in your Christian walk. You still may sing the songs, do the walk, carry the Bible, but backwards you're going spiritually. There really is no 
sitting still in, in the kingdom. It's you're either pressing into the kingdom or the current of this world is dragging you backwards. So if you see that happening in your life, the good news is you can repent. So I just want to you know talk for a minute about that. So if seeking the face of the Lord is so is so important to us to uh you know being close to him you know because jeremiah 29 says if you seek me you'll find me when you search me with all your heart what are some ways that uh, some practical ways that i can begin to draw near and cry out for his purifying fire and cry out for to know him more intimately because that's really the purpose it's not i just want to have the fire so i can have the fire it's it's because you want to know him and so well first i would encourage everyone to start getting some praise and worship music you know the bible says he inhabits the praise of those people get praise and worship music get alone walk yourself away begin to diligently seek after his presence because he because that because when you worship him it sets the tone of honor in the room which is where the where which is where the king of glory is going to dwell and i want to encourage you to learn to focus your mind you know the bible says the devil mind a man won't receive anything from the lord so it's very important in these times to really really focus your mind upon him you know a good way you can do that is to imagine yourself before the throne of god because that's really what you're where you're going to or what i do is i I really meditate and focus on the words that i'm singing to him that i might fully understand that i'm not just blabbing words to him and as you do that and you say god you know you you said if i sought you i'd find you doesn't say when you'll find him but says if you will if you'll press in and not give up and the purpose of the seeking process what you have to understand is the is that seeking process it, it brings death to your flesh it quiets your soul so you can hear the voice of God more clearly. So there's actually, even when it doesn't seem like anything's happening, when it seems like maybe even the Lord is ignoring you, no, if you you're, you will not be denied. You're going to seek after him, you know, and that's, uh, and, you, and it's going to take time. And, uh, you know, another way is obviously be in the Bible every day. Don't skip around. I recommend everyone have a systematic method of going through the Word of God, starting with maybe two chapters in the Old and two chapters in the New minimum every day and begin to just read through the Word of God systematically and ask the Lord to begin to speak to you as you read his Word. You know, there should be like one scripture, you know, on a regular basis that that, that, that pops out to you. Many times that will be the Lord speaking to you. Um, and, of course, meditating on his Word. The Bible says uh, in Deuteronomy that we meditate on his Word day and night. Meditation in this sense does not mean sitting on a pillow and chanting. It means it's referring to chewing, really. So in the same way that you chew your food to get all the the flavor and the nutrients out of it, I would recommend taking one scripture and just beginning to focus on it and just meditate on it over and over again. Just begin to say it out loud over and over again. And what, what happens is that as you do that, the presence of the Lord will begin to manifest and bring those scriptures alive to you. Why? Because you're meditating on his word, and that's how you get the word of God in your spirit, you know, and fasting. You know, obviously just not from food. Fasting can be anything that you're hungry for more than God. It could be your video games. Put the Xbox away. It could be your TV. It could be have, being on Facebook. It could be you could say, God, I'm just going to take a break for all this media that I do, and I'm just going to set that time aside, and I'm just going to begin to seek you and come after you in a, new, in a, in a whole new way. Um, Joel 2, 12, and 13 says that, you know, to keep coming to me with fasting, with weeping and mourning and repentance until all fellowship's been restored and all hindrances have been removed. You know, because I remember I was I sought the Lord for like that. I you know I did a fast and I I sought the Lord for like forty days. At the end of the fast, I didn't feel like anything happened, but the Lord spoke to me at the end of it with this scripture, basically saying, you know, Adam, I really don't want your little retreats. I really just want you to come after me until until you find me like you've never found me before. Until I do a, a new purifying work in your life, till I remove the hindrances. So it's just you know, Adam, I really want you to come after me for as long as it takes, and uh, that's really really important. So and that's desperation. You know, a desperate person doesn't, you know, desperate people like in foreign countries where people are really, really hungry for food and they find out like maybe a food ministry is coming to like feed them. Those people will walk for three days to get one bowl of soup. They don't walk for three hours and go, oh, I'm tired. Let's go do something else. You know, <laughs> they, they keep going until they get the food. 
And you have to understand that he is your life. He's your everything. And, you know, and he's, and he's not coming to the casual seekers. He's coming to those who diligently seek after him, who diligently want his presence. Why? Because casual people will feel that they can pick and choose what they want from him. Whereas the desperate people, just like if you were desperate in the natural, if you were desperate for food in the natural, someone could put the most repulsive, like let's say you're, you, the, word, the food you hate the most in your life is liver. Like I hate liver. But if I was desperate for food, I'd eat that liver like it was candy. Why? Because I'm desperate. And so that's how it is when you're desperate for God. God can speak anything you want to him. No matter what he says, his word is your living bread, whether it tastes good to your, to your flesh or not. That's all there is to it. So I just want to encourage that. You, you become hungry for what you feed on. So if you're, feed, if you're not desperate for God, it's because you're feeding on other things. So I want to encourage you to put those other things that you're hungry for aside and begin to feast on him. And as you do that... God's going to come with his presence, and he's going to come with his fire if you'll press in and not give up. Right, exactly. There's some good good words there. Another thing I, I felt prompted to talk on was how how um, with, with, uh, with uh, in one current, well, first of all, like, like say, for example, um, People were were being disobedient. Like for example, Adam had spoken of one time. Well, first of all, Adam, let me give you the story that you gave, and then I'll tell the thought because it's about the time the businessman, the pastor. You know, what I'm talking about. You're talking about the judgment seat. Okay. Well, you know, there was a a story about you know the judgment seat of Christ, talking about what we'll face when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the whole point of the story is about the, the essence of it is essentially that we're not going to be held accountable for what we did. We're going to be held accountable for what we're called to do. And uh, so in the story, and to illustrate that there's, you know, he talks about like, you'll likely see at the judgment seat, you'll see, you know, a guy, he'll say, you know, pastor Smith, come give an account. You'll see a guy walk up and he'll look a little confused. He'd be like, um, you, you mean, you knew, you mean businessman, uh, Smith, Lord, I was a businessman. I raised millions of dollars and I, you know, I funded the gospel and the Lord will look at them and say, pastor Smith, that's not what I called you to do. I called you to be a pastor of a 300 member church in your, in your city. And if you'd obeyed me all, you know, 5,000 souls that they would have won, you've been given full credit for just as them because you obeyed me. But now I have to, this, this work will be burned because it was done in disobedience to me. So that means you can do great and grand and mighty things for the Lord. But yet it wasn't it wasn't what the Lord called you to do because you never really drew near to hear his voice. You have to understand something. Ignorance is not is not an excuse. He's made his will available in his presence. And if you'll diligently seek after his presence, then he's going to reveal his plan for your life. So you say, because I don't know the plan of God for life. Well, then draw near to him and he'll draw near to you because that's where it's found. And, uh, you know, likewise, the other side of it is. It's not just about ministry. You know, you'll see people that feel ministries where it's at, and they'll say, you know, businessman Smith coming to give an account. You see a guy a little confused. Well, Lord, I was a pastor in my city. I, you know, we won lots of souls to you. Well, Pastor Smith, that's not what I mean. Businessman Smith, that's not what I called you to do. I called you to raise millions of dollars and fund the gospel. And if you'd obeyed me, all the souls that would have been brought out of the churches that you funded, you'd been getting full credit for just to them. However, now your works will be burned because they're not done in obedience to me. You know, and there, you know, and and there's some people that are just called. Honestly, there are some people who their ministry is to raise their family and be, you know, and be the best mom they can be to their family. And there's people, unfortunately, they think ministry is where it's at, and they've neglected their families for the sake of doing what they think they should be doing. And you'll see that. You'll see people coming forward, and the Lord will say, uh, you know, Sister Smith, come and give an account. And she'll be like, uh, well, I was, you know, Lord, I I spoke and I wrote books and I did all these great things. And the Lord's going to say. 
Well, Sister Smith, what I called you to do is I called you to raise your three boys. And if you'd obeyed me and raised them up in the faith as like they were supposed to be, all 1,137,000 souls they would have won, you've been given full credit for just as them. However, now, because of your neglect as a parent, they disobeyed me and they walked away from me. And now I'm going to burn. Now your works will be burned. So you have to understand it's not what you it's not what you do, it's what you're called to do. And only as you diligently seek the Lord and let him refine you in the fire of God will you fulfill that purpose. Right. And also those those things, you know, they like the stories the stories that you were giving the examples. Also if we know that it's God's will but but we decide we're not gonna do it, we're gonna do our own thing, mm-hmm. then that's just not it's not gonna not going to really be, it's not going to be worth anything because God didn't tell you to do that, especially if you know his will and you're being like Jonah or something. And in 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 5, it reads, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed now, heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he built, which he has built on, it endures, he will receive a reward If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So basically, our work, our life's work, everything we've ever done in our life is going to be tested and put in the fire we did even if we even if, if you gave a billion dollars to into into missions and that wasn't done with the right heart it, the motive and intent was wrong like a tax write-off or just to be noticed or something like that then that's going to be burned up it's not going to be worth anything it's, it's not going to be worth anything but if you followed the plan of God for your life, if you sought out and, and followed and, and he told you what to do and you obeyed, you weren't like Jonah, but you went and you, you did what you were supposed to do, then that's going to be the silver, the gold, the precious stones. But the other is just going to be wood, hay, and straw. 
And we need to be we need to be careful and diligent because when we get to heaven, we want to have treasure to to get you know to worship and, and crowns to lay at his feet. So you know, I just wanted to touch on that because I just felt like the Lord had prompted me to touch on that. All of it kind of goes together. I mean, you know, so think of it this way. Let's say you know you've got. Um, a guy that's he's a contractor he's the master contractor and he owns his own built business of build, doing construction and building houses so this guy comes and says hey you know i want this custom house built and so the master contractor comes and he, he lays out this blueprint that this is how what the house is going to look like so first what he does is he hires the framers well first what he does is he comes in and has the foundation laid you know they dig and they lay the foundation and then you know which in this case of course the foundation would be christ and then as the master builder comes in, he starts having the framework done. Now, periodically, this master builder will come in and he'll check on the he's – not, he's not laying one nail in this house. He's just there overseeing the work. And uh, But periodically, he comes in. Now, let's say the framers get done and he's scheduled the plumbing later, but then the plumbers come in beforehand and they start putting in the plumbing. And they uh, and not only did they start doing it, they start doing it according to the, uh, the against the blueprints. They think they have a better way to do it. What would the contractor do at this point? Well, he's going to come in. He's going to be upset. He's going to tell the plumbers they're fired. He and then he's going to he's going to rip the plumbing out and cast it away. And then he's going to hire people that are going to come in and do the job correctly. So in the same way with our lives. You know, when the Lord inspects our work, he's going to basically judge it according to a blueprint, according to, okay, well, was it, what, was it, was it the way I caught, wanted you to build or was it not? And the stuff that was according to his plan and done with the right motive will be, you know, it'll be come through as gold, silver, and precious stones. But the stuff that's not, it won't. It'll be burned up. And, you know, thankfully, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody's going to hell. Although I will say that not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father. There is a point where habitual disobedience as a lifestyle can take you out of the kingdom of God. But there will be those, there will be those that didn't fulfill the full call, that have some things in their lives that weren't done exactly how God wanted them. And unfortunately, those things will be burned and they're going to lose rewards. There's a, there's a full reward. There's a partial reward and there's a no reward scenario. I want the full reward. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought everybody in the kingdom of heaven was equal. Well, you know, I'm going to get into a scripture that's going to touch on that. And um, but uh, and, and, and to give you a scripture reference for this specific plan that God has for your life, it's uh, Psalms 139.16. And it says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So right there, you see God has a blueprint or a book, if you will of the way your life is supposed to go. And when you stand before him, you're going to be held accountable to whether or not your life followed that plan. Where do I find that plan? Where do I find that book? Well, if the Lord has the book, guess where you have to go to find the plan? You have to go to the Lord. And if you seek me, you'll find me when you search me with all your heart. So the plan is available, but it's not through having somebody come and lay hands on you. It can come that way, but really it's through you diligently seeking the Lord. You know, it's like when I, when I diligently sought the Lord, then his revealing his plan for me wasn't a problem. It's like he would come and talk to me about his plan when I least expected it or when I even didn't even want it sometimes. It's really just about knowing him and having that relationship because the the plan comes out of that relationship. Right, that's true, just seeking him and, and, and knowing that. It's like you were saying how how well that one, one scripture talked about, you know, he knew me before I was born and... and mother's room that would be a prophet to the nation and so it's it's important to seek him and even like adam was saying if you just do 
two scriptures from the Old Testament and two scriptures from the New Testament a day, even if it's a verse or a chapter, uh, and you just do that every day faithfully, then your hunger will start to grow just like it does in the natural because you don't start off wanting like four or eight or four or six meals a day. You don't always want junk food or, you know, when you first started it, those things that we need to, um, to build on and to have a, have a relationship with him because that also is really, really important. And I know that, uh, I don't, I don't want to lose my reward either. I, I, I don't want to lose that. I don't think anybody wants to lose their reward. And, and so but that's kind of what I, my take on this on that. You know, and I mentioned I had a scripture for the fact that not everyone is going to have the equal status in the kingdom of heaven. Now that might blow your mind. But I just want to emphasize, you know, God's not a socialist. He rewards according to what we do. And, um, you know, in the scripture of the parable of Minas, um, we tend to sometimes overlook his parables and, you know, treat them like they're, and they are symbols, but they're actually symbols of very real things. And he says the first, and it says that, it came to pass when he was come back again, having received the kingdom, that he commanded these servants whom he had given the money to be called to him, that they might know what had been gained by training. So what is this? This is the judgment. What have you done with what I called you to do? And the first came to him, saying, Lord, thy pound hath made ten pounds. And he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have found been faithful in very little. I'm going to give you rulership over ten cities. Now the next one says, Well, Lord, I you, mine made five pounds. He was given the same amount, but he didn't. He wasn't as faithful. But he didn't multiply it like the other guy did. Did the Lord cast him away? No, but he did say, "Well, then you're going to get rulership over five cities." So he could have had the ten, but he got five because of what he did with it. And then another came to the Lord. Here's thy pound, which I kept laid up in a napkin. I feared thee because you are an austere man, and you take up which thou layest not down, and reach which you did not sow. And he said, out of their own heart, while I would judge you, you wicked servant, you knew that I'm an austere man, taking up which I laid not down and reaping that which I did not sow. And therefore, I gave us not my money into the bank, and at least I could have gotten it with some interest. And he said to them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that has ten. So the guy's already gotten ten pounds, and the Lord takes this pound from the useless, the lazy guy, and gives it to the guy who has ten. Why? Because he's using it. And... So that's the, and so now we so what do we have we have the guy that gets a full reward we have the guy with a partial reward and we have a guy with a no reward scenario. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy with a no reward scenario. I don't want to be the the least in the kingdom of heaven. I want to fulfill the full call of God. But understand, you know that fulfilling the full call of God means that you know just like Jesus fulfilled the full call, it's going to mean persecution. It's going to mean trials. It's going to mean it's probably going to mean some difficulties. That if we're gonna if we're gonna have the glory that Jesus has, we're gonna drink from the cup that He drank from. Amen. So that's a that's a very big deal. Um, I just and and with with that being said, you know, I want to talk for a minute about you know just again about hunger. You know, um, it's it's so crucial that we build that hunger in our days. You have to understand prayers like you know God make me hungry for you. That's not really a valid prayer. If it was job, God's job to make us hungry, we'd all be hungry. It's not. It's you choose what you're hungry for again by what you feed on. So I just want to re, really, really stress there. If you really want this fire, you really want this presence in your life. You're like, God, I want everything. You, you know, and it's not just words. You know what? Put the Xbox away. Turn the TV off. You know, shut down the computer. Whatever you got to do, and begin to diligently seek His presence. 
you know, just to make you a little bit hungry, I'm going to, you know, I can tell you about the, the, some of the ways that through that relationship, the Lord's, you know, has come about leading me. This very radio show itself is a product of my relationship with the Lord and, you know, Deborah's as well. We did it because we had peace about it. But, you know, if we weren't actually seeking the Lord, if we didn't have a relationship, we couldn't actually sense that. We wouldn't have that spiritual ability to actually sense his voice, to sense his presence, to do things like this. You know, so when we stand before him as we're obedient in this, then this will be gold, silver, and precious stones to us, not wood, hay, and stubble. Amen. We could have gone off and we could have done our own thing, or we could have done our own thing, and it would have been just wood, hay, and stubble. You know, um, I remember when I was in Bible school, you know, people was like, well, Adam, how, did you, how do you know what you're called to do? Well, when I was in Bible school, you know, I was um, sitting there eating, uh, you know, and this is how, how, how exciting it is that the king of the universe can talk to you just in your day-to-day life. I was sitting there, and I was eating um, some food with some friends of mine, and they asked me in Bible school, well, Adam, are you going to go to the pastoral class or are you going to go to the evangelism class? And I really didn't want to be a pastor. I'm like, well, I'm going to the evangelism class. And I felt this check in my spirit, and I knew the Lord was saying, no, you're going to the pastoral class. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, but – I knew I had to. So I wound up eventually going to the pastoral class. And then shortly thereafter, the Lord, through a series of confirmations, revealed that this is what I was called to do. And now I really couldn't see myself doing other, anything other than discipling people, pastoring people, and teaching people, you know, and things of that nature. Even if, even if right now it's just teaching on this show, the day will come when I'll be pastoring people and teaching people. And I believe that in many ways, due to the lack of sound teaching out there, because it talks about his people are like many times like sheep without a shepherd, that I believe that this show is going to go through and uh, be discipleship to many people in many different nations as this thing grows. But guess what? It was a product of relationship. You know, it is a product of letting God change us so that he can use us. He uses imperfect vessels, but he perfects those imperfect vessels. Right. That's that's actually a very, very good point um, about all of that. That's some good, good preaching there. And, you know, I was, uh, I was thinking about, um, about uh, the book of Acts and, and um, you know, I've kind of, I, I know that you touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to touch on it because it keeps coming to me and keeps going and keeps coming back. So, um, so since, uh, since the, uh, since the, um, Since it's going to me and it's coming to me, then then I'm gonna just go ahead and I'm just gonna go ahead and obey. So it's Acts twenty and it starts at verse one. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then it goes on to speak about all these other people that were dwelling in the in the city nearby. They had all come, come near there from different parts of the different parts all and um they were just they were just all amazed this is we're picking up at verse 12 um yeah in, in verse 12 and it says uh, because uh, it says we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of god 
So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and on all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which means it was nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those last days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, a lot of these, you know, and this went on, and 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 he kept uh, um, preaching, and then 3,000 were saved, and then 5,000 were saved, so it was, they were added to the church daily, and in all of this, you know, we we're talking about manifestations, and you can, it can literally be like you're drunk, just having the glory come upon you like that, and then when was Moses saying, show me your glory as well? And how how God told him that that he couldn't look up you know he couldn't look upon him or he died so he just showed him the back part of him and and he hit him in the cleft of the rock and so all of this is a baptism of the Holy Spirit as well because you know it talks about how they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that also, too, is very, very important is to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, which I know we're going to talk about. But first of all, Adam, I have a question for you. In Leviticus 10, 11, I'm sorry, 10, verse 1, it said, and then forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, the sin of Nadab, Nadab and Abihu. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which we had, he had not commanded them. And uh, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Now, first of all, before I ask you the question, some people say, like, for example, our are the the ministry of the church that we're related to you know we know it it's it's the real thing and obviously there are a lot of false teachers out there that spread false doctrines and there are a lot of things like that that happen uh, as we we stated earlier to lead people to lead people astray to lead people astray from uh, the uh 
to lead people astray from the, uh, sorry about the phone call there. We thought all the phones were off. But they're come from the from the deceiver, from the deceiver to um to lead people astray from the truth. And so since since the uh since all of that happens, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of rumors and a lot of this and a lot of that 'cause you know, our 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 church and our, our pastor, uh and all the pastors there are on fire, men and women of God and and they they just God uses them in an awesome awesome way, and so um, we know that that's real. Of course, there'll be people that say it's strange fire, and we know it's not strange fire. And I mean, I don't. And when you're being deceived and you don't know the truth, I I can sort of understand and just op- asking God to reveal the truth. But I think when we when we spend another episode on on false doctrines and being le- misled by false teachers and things like that, then people will, you know, learn to open their eyes by the show that we did um, a little while back on reading what was true. So my question in all this that some people may have, what exactly does it mean by strange fire? And I will read the verse one more time. And we have about 20 minutes just to let you know. So it says in Leviticus 10, 1, now Nadab and Abahu, <laughs> the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. And also I believe his, uh, he was warned um uh, also, the father was born, and he knew he was doing that. And since he didn't do anything about it, he was taken out as well. Can you please elaborate from us for us, Adam? Okay. Well, first of all, I understand something that um, the fire, the whole reason that it was strange fire was it specifies why it was strange fire, because it was fire that the Lord had not commanded them to do. So, again, we've been talking about only doing the, doing the things that God's called us to do, not just doing our own things from the Lord. So in, this, in the context of this verse, the strange fire is actually people doing things for God, giving up offerings to God, doing things for God that he hasn't called them to do. That's what strange fire is in this context. And uh, as we've seen, that when you stand before him and that happens, the works will be burned. And I hate to say it, that as we see this end-time glory you know, increase, that there will be people that are just going to come in, and they're going to come into services, and they're going to think they can just do whatever they want. And they're gonna, they're and they're gonna, and quite possibly because of their irreverence to just feel like they can just worship God however they want to, and they might wind up dropping dead, you know. So that's actually what strange fire means in this context. Now, in regards to uh, people that would say that certain teachers and things like that are false fire, we are living in days of great deception. We need to understand that. Um, but the problem is, is that most of the teachers that would accuse, like the ministry and or were involved in, of having false fire. The problem is, is that many of them go to the other stream and they have no fire. So, so understand that it, just because there is a false fire, guess what? There is a real fire, and you can't settle for having no fire just to stay out of deception because that's that's deception too. 
You know, I find that most churches that preach against, you know, the move of God and stuff like that, usually most of them aren't really doing anything. It's like they complain about this and that. They don't understand the falling out under the power. They don't understand speaking in tongues. They don't understand different things, but yet they're not leading anyone to Jesus. There is no miracles. There is no power. It's just like, how can you call a church unbiblical that has miracles, that has power, that has people getting saved, but yet your your own church has no miracles, no power, and not, not getting people saved? You know, one of the main ways I believe that churches fall into strange fire is what I was talking about before is because they're seeking manifestations, but they're not seeking him. So the key to getting the real and not the fake is, as we're about to to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is the Bible talks about that if you ask the Father for bread, he's not giving you a snake or a stone. If you're diligently, truly seeking the presence of God and your heart is sold out to him to do whatever he calls you to do, guess what? And you're diligently seeking him, not not a certain manifestation, him – and guess what? He's going to give you what you're asking for. False manifestations come when people seek manifestations or they seek the Lord out of an impure heart. They're seeking the Lord for they want to look powerful. You know, they want to have uh, they want to have a big ministry. They want they you know, they really don't want Jesus. That's where false fire comes from. But, you know, so but real fire comes when it's really all about the fear of the Lord and the condition of your heart. And what are you seeking after? So if you're diligently seeking after the Lord with a pure heart, you know, and you're staying grounded in the Word of God, and the fruit of, you, of, the, of your church's ministry is what? Are they getting souls saved? Are they leading people to Jesus? Is their doctrine in line with the Word of God? Are you know? Are they are they are they just preaching? They're preaching their own thing. Those are the things you have to look at. You know, no church is perfect, but the false fire comes. Like I know of churches that I mean, they seek angels and they seek gold dust and they seek all this kind of stuff. That's that's where you get the false fire because now it becomes about you know. Deborah was talking earlier about like Elijah. You know, he wasn't God wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the whirlwind, he wasn't in the fire, he was in the still small voice. So sometimes, you know, God's not in the big manifestations, he's in the small. It's really about just seeking the Lord with a pure heart, walking in the fear of the Lord, and being open to and being open to whatever he calls you to do and really just wanting him for him. If that's the case, then the Lord is going to reveal himself to you. And I'm not saying that the angels of light won't come. I'm not saying the devil won't come. But you understand, but you can always discern his voice by the word of God. There's nothing wrong. Let me say this. If you do hear a voice telling you something, you do feel something, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, you know, God, if that's you, I need three scriptures to back that up. You say, that's here. No, no. God has no problem confirming things by his word. That's a tidbit for people. You know, you can, you know, God has absolutely no problem confirming things with his word. If, 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 if you hear, the Bible says to test the spirits. So there's no problem with asking the Lord, you know, Okay, I don't know if that's God or not. So guess what? I'm going to test that against the Word of God. And God, I'm not going to leave that unless you give me three scriptures. Right. Thank you so much, Adam, because I'm sure that there have been some questions about that, and uh, that was uh, that helps. I'm sure a lot of people. Now, since we only have about 15 minutes left, I'm going to read some scriptures about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And the Book of Acts, one three through five. To whom he showed himself, that means Jesus, alive after his passions by many infallible proofs. Infallible means that you cannot disprove them, that they are totally 100% being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, 
but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then, as I read a brief version earlier, Acts, the book of Acts, A-C-T-Z, uh, chapter 2, 1 through 4, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the book of Acts, uh, chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. The Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Also the book of Acts 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And in Jude 1.20, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And also there's one about uh, not neglecting, uh, the stirring yourselves up and not neglecting the gift that, that, that was placed in you by the laying on of hands. And then also another one, just to build up your spirit, man, and your faith here, there's one about how in 2 Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles 5:14 it talks about and starts at thir- uh well 13 we could do in unison with the trumpets and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord and when they lifted up their voice accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and when they praised the Lord saying he indeed is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then the house the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, cloud for the glory of the Lord filled, filled, the house, filled, filled the house of God. And there's another one in 1 Kings 8, 11. It happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. I'll tell you what now, I don't know about y'all out there or you, Adam, but I really feel the anointing and the glory. Amen. So we're talking about being uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being touched by but touched by the Christ. So understand something. Christ is millions of miles away in the throne. Jesus is millions of miles away in the throne room. The level to which you know Jesus is going to be determined by your relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Don't say that you're a disciple of Jesus. When he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send another. I'm going to send the comforter. But you reject his, But you reject a relationship with his spirit because it doesn't line up with your mental understanding. Mark chapter 16 says very clearly, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then it goes on in the last part of that chapter. And he says, and these signs will follow those who believe that they will cast out devils, they'll lay hands on the sick, and they'll speak with new tongues. So if you believe that preaching the gospels for every believer and any believer in their, in their right mind does – then you also have to believe that speaking in tongues is for every believer because Jesus was speaking in the same context. So you can't say, well, this part's for me, but this part's not for me. I'm going to tell you again, if you really love Jesus and you're hungry for Jesus, you're going to want everything he's called you to do. You're going to want everything that he has for you. And uh, the Bible is very clear that, you know, in Jude one twenty, that you are to, it's a command that you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Um, one day we'll have to actually do a whole show at some point on just the baptism of the Holy Ghost and really get in depth on this. Day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. But um, but I will just say this: that if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost and you want a deeper relationship with Jesus, it starts here. So if you want to receive that gift, you don't have to be afraid because remember, you're not asking the devil for this. Because some people, well, you know, they're Satanists that speak in tongues. That's true, but they ask the devil for it. You just have to ask the Holy Ghost. So if you want to ask Jesus, who promised that he would not give you a snake or a stone for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can say this prayer. Say, Jesus, fill me with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fill me with your power and help me to live for you. Now, before I actually go further into that, I also just real quick, I want to give an invitation for those that are that are praying this to actually receive Jesus the Lord and Savior. I guess we probably should have started with that. We do want to get into that. So right now, the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So before we actually receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you need to rededicate your life right now or you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, say this with me. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Set me free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me passion for the lost and hunger for the things of God and boldness to preach your gospel. And now say this prayer with me. We kind of went in verse there, but say this to me. Say, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Ghost. Fill me with power to live for you in Jesus' name. Now, the Bible says that in Jude 1, 20, it says that you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. So when I count to three, don't pray in English, don't pray in Spanish, don't pray in any other language. Begin to pray out that new language. You won't understand the Bible since we pray in tongues, we pray mysteries. What's a mystery? It's something you don't know. So when I count to three, just begin to speak out that new language. Don't pray in English. Just begin to, if you make it simple, I'm literally telling you as foolish as it sounds, to actually begin to just, begin to like really just begin to make out, throw out some new syllables and new sounds. As you do that, you're just giving God your voice and the language of his choice will begin to come through your mouth. When I count to three, just begin to speak that out. One, two, three, now. Right now, you may have some new words and some new syllables that keep coming out of you and you don't know what to make of it, but the Bible is very clear that when they were in the back book of Acts chapter 2, as Deborah read that they were declaring the wonderful works of God. So as you keep doing that, that language will grow. You might feel a heat. You might feel a fire. You might feel a peace. That is the presence of God being made real <laughs> to you. And so, and that's Deborah catching it right now. And uh, just begin to let the presence of God touch you in that new way. You need to pray more in tongues than you pray in English. You should be praying in tongues all the time because as you do that, you're building up your spirit man. Notice the book of Jude says to build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. 
when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're actually building up your spirit man and, and actually putting yourself in tune to actually be able to hear the voice of God more clearly. It's absolutely crucial if you want to have a relationship with Jesus. I find that any, the most people that reject the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even after receiving sound teaching on it, is simply because they really don't – they want to have an intellectual relationship with God that they can control. <laughs> But I, but if you're really hungry for God, you don't want that. You want everything that God's called you to do. And God wants to make you a minister, a flame of fire, as the Bible says, to go out and touch his world with the gospel. Amen? Amen, because he does indeed make his ministers flames of fire. And he is a consuming fire. And, ooh, the anointing is very strong in here. I'm just... Uh, uh, catching the waves, I feel like I'm not even feel like uh feel like I'm just um but uh I was gonna gonna give you uh real quick I mean it does say it does talk about how and we are talking about the fire, we're talking about the baptism and the Holy Ghost and we wanna talk about I mean we did talk about the fire God, of course the whole thing has mm-hmm. been about and and um Jesus, you know, is a baptizer in, in the Holy Ghost and fire. So that's an important thing as well. So that I, you know, when he when he when he talks about that having the fire, I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty uh, I think drunk right now. So, but we just pray right now in the Holy Ghost. Let me clarify that: not drunk, drunk on alcohol, but in the Holy Ghost. So. Mm-hmm. But to 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 let you know, I mean, the anointing is 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 uh, voice activated. It can go through the airways. I believe that you're feeling the anointing right now, and I I believe that I I you know Jesus sent His Word and and He He healed all our diseases and delivered us from all our destructions. And I thank you, Father, for sending Your Word to each and every listener. I thank you for touching them from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet with your anointing and your 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 healing power, your virtue from the crown of their head to the soles of the feet. And he, uh, healing is the children's bread. And I thank you for the fire. Fire, God, right now in the name of Jesus. The fire. <laughs> you, you think your fire going forth, your word going forth and touching these people, God, right now. And then right now, just lift your hands and say, Lord, I want your fire. And I receive it now by faith right now in the name of Jesus. Now just receive by faith the fire of God going through these airwaves right now, God, and touching you, God. In the name, touch your people, God, in the name of Jesus, God. We think the people are being healed right now, even as they listen, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, consume them with your fire, God, in the name of Jesus. And we thank you right now for grace, God, grace to go through the fire, God, and we will not be burned, God, in the name of Jesus, like your word says, God. When we walk that we will not be burned, God, in the name of Jesus, if we walk with you just like the just, just like the three boys in the furnace. If we walk that we will not be burned if we walk with you, God. In the name of Jesus, I thank you that this this uh-huh. that people are being raised up that are, that will be in the fire and not be consumed by it, but it will consume the chaff and shape them into the image of Christ. Amen. So I thank you for your fire going forth over these airwaves and touching their lives, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, God. And I thank you for your healing power. If you're sick in your body, place your hand on the part of your body where you're sick right now and just say, Lord, I believe I receive healing from my body right now in the name of Jesus, God. 
And right now, uh, take that part of your body and begin to move it around. If you're if you're if you've got a pain, if you've got begin to move your arm around, begin to move your leg around, begin to move your body around, and just begin to move that part of your body around and begin to and watch that pain just begin to leave your body right now in the name of Jesus, God. We thank you for that. You're that they're being healed in your presence right now, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, God. And right now, we just want to go ahead as we got two minutes and fifty five seconds left. We just want to go ahead and give uh, Deborah go ahead and give us some information about the prayer line number and our email contact. Contact. Right, and you know, just uh, we got like two and a half minutes, or two, yeah. Okay, so to let you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength, and what I've been laughing, and it can, you know, a merry heart do like a medicine, and put on the garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness, just all these things, the joy. So just by faith, just put your hand on your belly and say, just go along with me. It may sound stupid, just go, ha ha ha. He, 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 ho, ho, ho. And then put it all together and you go, ha, ha, he, he, ho, ho, ha, ha. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a little drunk. Uh, so if you're receiving the joy, I'm just going to go ahead and give you uh, the uh, the prayer number. If if Monday, th- Sunday through Sunday through Friday, you can call the prayer line at 16685-RIVER, R-I-V-E-R, 1-866-85-RIVER. And uh, we just want to encourage you. We're here uh, every Monday at eight o'clock, and uh, you can all and you can uh, Google any previous episodes by just putting in Fire Talk Radio Two in Google, and it'll bring up all of our episodes. Amen. And um, that's really about it for now. And uh, we just want to. We got ninety seconds left, so just thank you for everyone coming on, and we'll be with you next week. And God bless you, and just thank you. Just enjoy the presence of God. Amen. Good night. And now, insurance-minded speeches from Geico. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the Geico app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app. And behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the GEICO app. Look it in the mouth. Get amazing services. Thank you. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.